from uh, from Russia and uh, spent two weeks, week in Ukraine and a week in Russia, and came out of Russia pretty sick. I'm in recovery, but uh, spent time with uh, Bishop Boris Sinabobnov, and he brings greetings. We support uh, Boris, uh, Pastor Nikolai Levchenko. We support Nikolai also. And uh, they bring their greetings, and they're doing well. Uh, Boris, I can't keep track. I mean, last time I was there, uh, you know, this is his third wife. His first wife passed away after bearing 13 children, and she had an aneurysm. She was totally healthy, actually, and uh, was in for gallstone problems and an aneurysm burst, something just unusual. And then his second wife uh, died in an automobile accident. So he had remarried. And uh, the last time I was there, they had just had their second child. So I showed up, and he said, oh, we have a third one. I said, I can't keep track. I mean, I didn't even know. You know, I just thought you just had one, <laughs> you know. So uh, that makes uh, 18 natural children and two adopted because uh, the, the wife he has now has had two children. So... He has 15 daughters and five sons. So if you think you have it hard. And the house is just, it's amazing. It's an amazing system. He's an amazing guy. You've got to be an incredible manager and provider. And, you know, all the kids love the Lord. They're all serving the Lord. Um, Victoria's two children, a, a son and a daughter who were, you know, just adrift are very committed to the church, uh, the boys working with the sound system, and just pretty, pretty amazing, very, very encouraging. So what I wanted to do this morning was uh, the elders give me an opportunity once a year to update you on the work that we're doing over in Russia and Ukraine and the fact that we as a church support two uh, pastors, one in Russia and one in Ukraine, have two sister churches. And uh, so this is actually from about down through about, from about May. So this is the first part of the year. In March, I was in Russia and Ukraine, and then coming out, I was with Sarah in uh, Spain uh, as we looked at different missions opportunities for her, and I got to preach in an Arab convert church, which was just tremendous. And uh, then in April, I was in Afghanistan, and I have some pictures from Afghanistan. Those are the ones everybody wants to see. And then uh, May and on down through the summer, uh, we itinerated in uh, Ohio and Mississippi and uh, New England for three weeks. September, I was home working on the houses. And then October, we just did another trip to Russia and Ukraine. So it's been very, very busy. Uh, but the spring was incredibly uh, fruitful. So let me just uh, start here with, uh, this is basically the CIS, which is left of the uh, Soviet Empire. And, and Russia, of course, being the largest, Russia, Russia is just huge. I haven't tapped uh, any part of this, really. And I talk to people who are working in different areas of Russia, up in Siberia, in the Caucasus, different regions. And uh, you can see the red there, that's Voronish Oblast, uh, where we are working. And Russia being one-tenth of the land mass of the planet, huge. This is Voronish Oblast. You can see the uh, capital of Voronezh in the north, and they're named basically after the city, or the city's named after the Oblast, there's one major one. Uh, used to have to take the night train uh, into Voronezh from Kiev, but they, the Russians made it illegal for foreigners to pass across the border at that juncture, so they forced you to go to Moscow. So to take the train to Moscow and then take the train from Moscow uh, to Voronezh was very long and very expensive. And so there is now an airline running out of Moscow called Polet. And basically it's a Russian millionaire. He started a little airline there in Voronezh and they're executive turboprops and they're very, very nice. And instead of a 13-hour overnight train ride, it's now 55 minutes. <laughs> so, and this is the tundra, which uh, in March, you know, we, we don't have any snow in March. We're talking about a lot of snow. So shortly after arriving, they took me out to the rehabilitation center. One of the things I do is minister in their rehabilitation center. There aren't a lot of people that have a heart for that. And I think it's special that someone from America would be willing to go out there 
And I found out I'm kind of uh, famous for this because they keep saying, why in the world would Gordon want to go out to the rehabilitation center at the worst time of the year? I mean, it's just like impossible even to get him out there. I think last, last time I showed you pictures, they took a four-wheel drive vehicle halfway and then it got stuck and we had to walk through the snow and, you know, and so they're, they're always amazed at this. But, you know, from my background, I just have a heart for these guys and the Lord always blesses and is greatly encouraged. So here we're just passing through the countryside and again, not a lot of plowing, a lot of drifting, uh, just a lot of snow, March. And uh, new vehicle, uh, Chevy has uh, <laughs> done a joint venture with Lada, and so they have a Chevy Neva, which they say is a piece of junk, but it's better than the old Lada. So we drove out that, <laughs> we drove out that far and then waited, and what we are is we're on a main road, and then there's a road back into this communal farm. This communal farm's huge. I really have no idea. I would think probably maybe, you know, 10 square miles. Just huge, huge area. We have to, we have to, have to actually go in like three or four miles to get to the rehabilitation center. So uh, then they sent, and my transportation was arriving from the rehab center. And I want to tell you something. It is so bitter cold. It's hard to imagine unless you've been there. Jim and I were there one time in January. And there's just something about the Russian winter. It doesn't have to do with the temperature. It's some combination of the wind chill factor and so on. But we were bundled up with furs and coats and hats. And it just worked its way through. And we were freezing the whole time. And it took, you know, it took a good half an hour, 45 minutes uh, behind this horse uh, crossing over to the rehab center. So we struck out and got, got to a place where it was a total whiteout. And there's a rehabilitation center in the distance. Uh, it's actually quite modern. And um, the one thing you do have anywhere in, in Russia is electricity. And I think they use uh, propane or coal for heating. Uh, very nice facility. Uh, this is a, a sub-level, and this is actually where the chapel is, where we have the meeting, and also where the meals are served. And I think it costs, uh, you might pray about this, because Andrei Bashmakov, who uh, built this rehabilitation center, who, who is supported through our sister church project by Cornerstone in Weir's Beach. Uh, Jim was just up there. Uh, they help pay for a lot of this. Uh, Andre has to raise, I think he said, it doesn't sound like much, really, $1,000 a month. But, you know, for them, that's a lot of money just to keep this going. I mean, basically, it's paid for. Uh, they had the money uh, in hand when they, when they did it. They worked their way through that. And recently, the girls' facility burned down, and so they're wanting to rebuild. So the women are actually staying with families. So then I taught and passed out some of my booklets, which I'll be mentioning later. Most of the places that we go, uh, what I'm doing in these Bible schools and seminaries and in the uh, Rehabilitation Center is uh, teaching portions of our discipleship series, which I'll be talking about later. So these are disciplines of the faith. They have to do with those kinds of things which you need to develop in your lives as habits for spiritual growth and health. And as we found for rehabilitation, and it's the same here, uh, as it was in our rehabilitation center, you know, the ministry of the Word of God for the regeneration of the mind and through prayer and through worship and through the Holy Spirit moving and bringing healing and uh, rehabilitating. So this is the group. And they have their own uh, leadership and there was worship. And so we had an excellent time. This is Boris Sinabobnov's church. They're just starting to arrive. I didn't really get a lot of good pictures, uh, but I caught one kind of a, a side thing. So there's basically another whole section of the church, a very large church, and uh, it's the main Pentecostal church in Voronish. And this is Boris, and he's gotten gray, but he's doing well. Uh, he has some heart problems, and I've talked to him directly about his weight, and he said he doesn't know what to do about that. He's trying to exercise different things. But he's got, of course, high blood pressure, uh, cholesterol problems. Um, he's starting to have symptoms. Uh, he doesn't have a lot of energy, a uh, number of different things. So I'm actually concerned 
for his, for his health. Very concerned. So we might pray for, for Boris. One of the things I noticed was that uh, the church has a lot of young people. Now, of course, they have some African students. Uh, Bronish is actually a college city also. And uh, Russia still allows scholarships for Africans, so they have some Africans in the congregation. But you can just see all these young people, especially uh, musical and the choir. Choir was tremendous. And uh, I have an excellent translator. She always also went with me to the rehabilitation center. So, And uh, again, just unusual because they're so used to the word of exhortation to have teaching line upon line. Uh, Boris tells me continually that people are asking when I'm coming back just because they're not used to having that kind of teaching and they're really hungry for it. Uh, this is a smaller church which has started in Andrei Boshmakov's basement and he actually dug out into the side of his backyard, extending his basement, and then he dug out more. And so the church is packed in here. They're in the process of building a building, and, uh, but you can see it's just packed out. This is a basement, more like your classic house church. Tremendous time, very contemporary, had a lot of guitars, one of the churches I was in this time had a drums. I was quite amazed, had a whole drum kit. Uh, then we went to Ukraine. And again, what I can do is I can fly back to Moscow. And for about 99 to to $100, I can catch a flight from Moscow down to Kiev. Just different, really different. Uh, this is the Kiev Oblast. If you look above it, uh, that's uh, Belarusia directly above it. And over to the right is Russia. So the Kiev Oblast sits up against uh, Belarus, and Chernobyl's at the very top, uh, right around here, and so that's why when it blew out, every, all the winds went uh, north, and then Russia's over to the right. So the, Russia has a great influence upon Ukraine because they're so close to the capital city. And this is actually uh, Kiev itself, which is a huge city. The Dnieper River passes through the middle of Kiev. This is our Bible Institute in Brovery. Uh, which you've heard about. We have a work called East-West Resources out of Jesus in Ministries, which the main things are the Sister Church Project, linking American churches to Russian and Can or Ukrainian churches, and we support seven pastors in Ukraine and six in Russia. And then we do Bible Institutes, and we basically network uh, with other organizations, uh, Global Assistance Partners out of Ohio, uh, pays a lot of the... Uh, uh, for the materials and a lot of these kinds of things, and I'm vi actually vice president of, of that organization. The other one is, and I'm going to show you a picture in a minute, this is actually Misha, our director of the institute. These are pastors and church workers. And uh, recently it just started to explode. We've got like, uh, I think, 51 guys packed into this room. This is a, a, a classroom that we built in the basement of a church. Uh, we also built dormers for the students to sleep, showers, uh, bathrooms. Again, Global Assistance Partners paid for all of this. And the organizations are Global Assistance Partners, our organization, East-West Resources, Oral Roberts University uh, with Dr. Don Vance, who's our academic dean. They supply uh, professors uh, to teach uh, in the institutes. And actually, uh, Dr. Ray Smith and Dr. Vance went with me this time and taught. And then uh, also a fellow named Tony Rabarczyk. I'll show you a picture of Tony here. And again, if you look at, the, if you're able to see the blackboard, we're teaching on the on the discipleship series that we've used over the years. This is Tony Rabarczyk, and Tony is the ICI Global Representative, which is the Assemblies of God Correspondence Institute. They supply all the materials, so we have four on our leadership team. And uh, that way we have, you know, materials, we have funding, we have administration, and then we have the professors. So it's just pretty amazing, uh, the quality of the people and how this thing is, has pulled together. Tony's a tremendous teacher. He was teaching on uh, concepts of leadership, teaches a lot on servant leadership, which is kind of alien to them <laughs> because they believe, like, rulership, that they... Uh, so he, he's very challenging to them. And Tony speaks Russian. Uh, he doesn't speak it uh, terribly well, so he uses a translator. But every once in a while, he'll just break out and start talking to him. So it's, it's really tremendous to have him. Again, just to look at the uh, overview of, of this, uh, this group. And every year we take a picture. This is the picture of the 
graduation. This church in particular was built through the Sister Church Project, Aquila Bible Chapel in Ohio, which is one of uh, the churches that has been in our conclave, uh, put like $30,000 into this church to build it. And I, I put this picture in here because it's the only picture I have of Nikolai. Nikolai is chairman of uh, the, the Ukrainian board of the Bible Institute and helps to oversee it. And I won't mention all the different brothers here, but each one of these has a various uh, position with that, and they help make the decisions. But there's Nikolai right there, getting a little older. Still looks pretty good, I think. He's in his 70s. Then we went to Venitsa. Uh, they have a seminary, and uh, what we decided was that uh, once we finished a, pa a specialized pastoral training program in, in Brovery, which was uh, one-week intensive training, uh, we wanted to carry it further into this brotherhood, have more influence with them in teaching, because uh, it's a very conservative brotherhood, and we're trying to bring them forward uh, into the kingdom, and so we're working with this, and we wanted to take the one-week intensive training to Venitsa, where they have a seminary. And uh, it's an actual seminary where they have a bachelor's course, a master's course, and actually they've been asking us over and over, could you bring the professors to Venitsa? Could you bring them to Venitsa? So what we're starting to do is we're having two-day institutes in Brovery. That's what you saw. And then we go to Venitsa, which is in the center of Ukraine, and we hold a one-week intensive training at their seminary, which gives us a lot more influence. Uh, actually, this seminary was founded by the senior bishop, uh, Gregory Babi. So us being there has a lot of, a lot of influence, and we've been invited. Venitsa is the confectionery capital of Ukraine. It's where the candy's made. It's where the sugar beet factories are for processing sugar. So all the candy factories went there, so they wouldn't have to transport the sugar. So there's some uh, gourmet chocolate factories, different things in Venitsa. This is the seminary, and we were amazed. We usually have 20 or 30 students, and we had uh, 40, 40 students. And these guys are at a master's level. And it might, it's pretty close to what we would consider a master's level also. It's their own accreditation, but they have a very high standard. They understand these things. And again, Tony Rubarczyk is providing for the materials, and these are actually master's materials from like Evangel College in Kiev, which is an Assembly God uh, college, and these are translated into Russian. So these guys are going through some pretty, pretty strong materials. And again, I'm teaching from our discipleship series. We're going to see that in a minute. You, you can see there the cross, and uh, I'll, I'll explain a bit about that. Uh, in this particular one, I was actually teaching on the second half and in most of the places where I went, I was teaching on actually the gifts and ministries of the Holy Spirit, which is the first time I've really done that. And, and in, in Brovery in particular, as I started teaching on the gifts and ministries of the Holy Spirit, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and then going to 1 Corinthians 12 about the gifts and the operation of the gifts out of 14, as we waited upon the Lord, the gifts of the Holy Spirit started operating uh, in, the, in the group, and it was very, very powerful. Uh, tongues and interpretation in particular, there was some prophecy, different things occurring. So it really, the teaching actually stimulated that. And this is uh, down in the basement. They have a very large church where they have their meals. And this is the class for the spring. And we have uh, Tony, myself, and then uh, Bishop Peter, who's over the seminary. And uh, Bishop Peter is one of six men uh, that uh, Global Assistance Partners, of which I'm vice president, it's uh, based in Cleveland, Ohio, we sponsored six men from the unregistered uh, Pentecostal Brotherhood uh, after they came out uh, into, uh, they felt like came out of the cold uh, into a public uh, view, wanting their men to go to school, which was very unusual. They were against education. Jim and I had talked about this. They were against education. Uh, but basically, they, they came out and they wanted to see these guys get an education. So he's one of six that we scholarship to receive a master's degree, which is an accredited master's degree from American College, which is in Kiev. And so he's one of those. So we have an opportunity. These six men are now seated into this brotherhood and pretty well run the whole education program. And, and because of our influence with them, again, it just raises our ability to have influence within 
the unregistered brotherhood. And again, backing up, the unregistered brotherhood is in fact the underground church. This is the underground church, the one we prayed for for years and years and years. So it's a real privilege that we uh, uh, have this position with them. This is the church itself. It's huge, and it's full of young people. And uh, I was so taken with this, having uh, been going in and out of, a, uh, out of Russia and Ukraine for 22 years, that uh, when I got up, I asked them, I said, please forgive me, but let me take your picture. So I, I took their picture, and I said, you have to understand. I said, when I came here, I said, the very first unregistered Pentecostal church had just come out of the woods, you know, 70 people coming out of the woods. That was it. I mean, it's a huge city. I mean, there's thousands of believers now and, and hundreds of churches just in the Kiev Oblast. And I said, many of you don't remember this. You know, you, you were born since then. I said, but I remember. And some of the older people were, you know, tearing up. And I said, this is amazing that you have this freedom, that this reality is here, that we have this reality. So I, t I basically took a picture as I went around. And actually, the church wasn't as well attended as I've seen it. It's been packed before. I'd say three, 400 people, very beautiful church. And this is uh, Bishop Peter, myself, and Tony Verbarczyk. Afghanistan in April. Um, another organization that I work with is Shelter for Life. I've worked with them since 1992. Uh, for those of you who may remember, uh, back in the 1970s, there was a group that came through called Christ is the Answer. It was a, a Jesus People Revival tent that came through. And TCF was one of the few churches that reached out to them and helped them. And Brother Bill in particular had a real burden for them. It's interesting that out of that group, they sent a team uh, to India. And this team uh, went on to Pakistan, working in Sri Lanka, developed a work called Shelter Now International, and then uh, later changed the name to Shelter for Life, and I became involved in it, and now I'm uh, vice president uh, of the organization, and they're having me travel for them. And you remember I was in South Sudan uh, a couple of years ago. Well, this year they sent me to Afghanistan, where we have a major work. And if you look, you can see Kabul. Let's see if you can identify Kabul. And then up here is Talaquan. And Talaquan is where we're working. So I was there for member care, but also, you know, I didn't realize until after I got there, I was there because I'm a dignitary. I mean, I'm vice president of the American organization that is doing a major agricultural work in Afghanistan. And I didn't really catch that until I found out the way they were treating me. They were running around having me meet tribal leaders and all these different things were happening. So that was kind of the main thing. Uh, the first thing was we had to fly from Kabul up to uh, Talaquan on uh, an embassy flight. And this is actually courtesy of the U.S. government. It's free. And uh, you just have to schedule it. And we used to drive from Kabul to Talaquan, but the Taliban had set up checkpoints. And we had a car stopped. Actually, they tried to stop the car. They ran the checkpoint, and they raked the car with AK-47 fire. No one was injured, but that kind of stopped us from driving I kind of would have liked to have driven, but, but from driving from Kabul to Talaquan. And so now we catch this flight. And uh, it, it, it's, there's no place that's safe in Afghanistan, but it's pretty, pretty safe up around Talaquan. But what happens is you have to pass along the edge of the Hindu Kush mountains, which run all the way across India, up through Pakistan, up into Afghanistan. Beautiful, incredible mountains. So the view is just pretty extraordinary. And the desolation. <coughs> you know, when I look down through this, especially here, but also where it was drier, you'll see, I think you'll see, I think I took the pictures out, but after a while you come out and you're still in mountains and you're looking down and you're thinking, how could they find anybody there? You know, I mean, I, I flew one time from Kabul to um, Baku and, and uh, we went over all these mountains where, you know, the Taliban are supposed to be hiding. And you look down and you say, I couldn't find anything down there. I mean, it's just, just, just the most extraordinary. It's like looking at the moon, you know. And very nice. I had a nice place and it was all generators. There's no electricity. 
uh, but they had Wi-Fi from uh, 7 in the morning until 11 at night. You had to do all your stuff uh, at night. I actually did some FaceTime with my wife. The delay was horrendous, so we couldn't do that too well. But what I would do is I would spend about three-quarters of a day out working, and then the rest just kind of reporting back uh, by email, utilizing even Facebook. Very interesting, out in the middle of nowhere in Afghanistan. This is our compound, very lovely. By the time I left, this was all filled with grass. Spring was in, and it was uh, things were just starting uh, to grow. Great vineyards, very beautiful compound, motor pool. Uh, we headed out of uh, Talaquan, out into the village areas where we're working. And the first thing I would mention is that uh, SFL built this road. This was like a goat path. You could walk, you could have a donkey, but you couldn't take a vehicle. And I, I called our, uh, our president uh, just recently, and I asked him, I said, uh, you know, they told me how much road was built, but tell me again, almost 80 kilometers of road, and this is all built by hand. This is all done by hand. The gravel is broken by hand. Guys sit on a thing with a rock and they break gravel. So when you see the road and the quality of the road is just incredible. So I took a lot of road pictures. I didn't put them all in here, but uh, these are the villages. And they're basically built from uh, mud and dung and straw. Blend right in. And uh, beautiful. I'm telling you, it was like 72 degrees, crystal clear, dry as a bone. You get up in the morning, it's just so beautiful. We stopped at this one village because in this village, this is uh, Chagrim Village in Takar province, which is part of the uh, Talaquan uh, area. Uh, basically, this project, we built uh, 175 homes and uh, helped to rebuild 250 just in one village area. And this is what we built. This fellow here was going on and on about how he never thought he would ever have a home to live in because he's lame in one leg. Uh, as I talked to our, our, our head engineer, he basically said the hardest thing going into these villages was trying to find the people that needed the help the most because everybody needed help. You know, it wasn't like find the poor. They're all poor. Find those that have extreme needs. They all have extreme needs. So then you have to go down to what's extreme extreme. So here's a guy who lived, you know, maybe under a lean-to and never expected to have a house. And uh, again, I didn't realize. Everybody started coming out because <laughs> the dignitary was there. And as you look out over the village, anywhere you see a white building or an attached white building, here's one here, we built, we built those. These are the village elders. The fellow on the left, his name is Jamaluddin. He's our engineer. He's from Tajikistan. He's been with us for years and years and years. Wonderful, wonderful guy. But these three elders are the elders of the village. So I talked to the one on the left who looked the most distinguished, and I said, okay, you're all, you're three elders of the village. Who is the senior elder? You have a senior elder? And he goes like this. And it's the little guy in the middle. And so he took us. Uh, for a walk through the village. And this is a very small house. All these people came out of this house. This is basically a family, an extended household. All these people live in this house. I mean, you can see the needs that are in these villages. And then he took us to this shop. And uh, he's got a little, like, convenience store in the middle of the village. And uh, this has to do with our microloan project. We have a microloan project going on where we give uh, 20 Afghans uh, sorry, 20,000 Afghans to each person, about $400, and we have 2,225 loans. You can multiply that through. It's a rotating fund. People pay back. And uh, I asked the girl that handles this. She says, we have a 1% default rate. Everybody pays back. This guy took 400 and some dollars, bought some stuff, rally, you know, just kept moving, and now he's got his own shop. He's independent. independent. And uh, she, uh, the girl told me, she said he's already paid back all that he owed. More road. Isn't this beautiful? This is coming back into Telequan. Went by a grist mill where we, have, we, we, we built this mill for the, for the town. The next day we went out into an area where we were looking at uh, irrigation. 
uh, during this period of time, about half the snow melt on the Hindu Kush Mountains melts and comes down into the dry riverbed. So here's a dry riverbed, which is just starting to fill up with rushing water. So water is not an issue. Getting the water to the fields is the issue, irrigation. So that's what we're doing over there is irrigation. All these embankments, this here, we did all this, all these bridges, culverts, road. Uh, again, here's the Hindu Kush Mountains, snow melt. And what we're doing is we're building huge reservoirs. And uh, these reservoirs hold 5,000 cubic meters of water, which is a tremendous amount of water, which create uh, a tremendous amount of uh, pressure per, per square inch, PSI, you know, like water pressure. And so basically it's sitting up on a rise. The water is, is, is um, channeled down into these reservoirs. And then from the reservoirs, they run drip lines throughout the valley. Uh, this is Dina on the right. She's our microfinance lady. Uh, Jamaluddin, who is our engineer. This is at the reservoir. This is a village elder, and this is a huge valley just below this reservoir. And he's basically telling me, you know, this will help 200, hundreds of people, 20 villages. He's going on. He's all excited about, you know, what we've done here. And again, he's saying, you don't know what this means to us. <laughs> And so, I mean, I was just really impressed. And their whole attitude towards us as Americans, and uh, it just, it was just not something I expected. I mean, we are not, I mentioned this as I came back, I got a totally different picture of Afghanistan. We are not getting uh, the total picture. We're not getting the picture of all the good that's going on uh, in Afghanistan. So he said hundreds of people, uh, a number of villages, and they're gonna run uh, pipe with little holes down through here, drip lines, turn it on and irrigate this whole valley. Uh, two reservoirs, we saw one of them. And they do this by hand. They're mixing concrete. Now, that's, there's the Hindu Kush Mountains. Here's what the sign says. This project is made possible by the people of the United States of America through funding by USAID, Foreign Agricultural Service, and implemented by Shelter for Life International. These people love Americans. And, and they, I'll show you a picture later where they were just quite effusive about it. Here we're coming to another area, same idea with the reservoirs. That's what we're working with, but different kinds of irrigation systems. This, this one here comes down into a hydrant, then you have uh, the water funneled out through uh, a hose, and then you have sprinklers. So instead of drip lines, here they're doing sprinkler systems. So the whole valley will be filled with sprinklers all over. And the water pressure will be such that it can, it can irrigate this whole valley. And this is the head elder, and he's going on about how excited he is about this project. And everybody came out to see the dignitary. So, so I said, hey, let's get a picture. And so I, I got him under the sprinkler. We're actually getting a little wet there, but... Uh, then they brought me up uh, to an almond orchard up on the hill. Beautiful. I mean, it's, it's 72 degrees. Sky's clear, dry as a bone. Almond, almond orchard. And then they started setting out carpets, and they had a jurga, a council meeting. And they started serving tea and sweets. And then each one of these men took turns sharing uh, how much they appreciated our help, how much they loved America, how they would not be where they were if it were not for us. That we had brought them out of poverty, we had not only uh, helped them to increase their own lifestyle, but given them something where they could have economic stability and commerce. Just amazing. These are irrigation projects and microfinancing. And then they said, we want to do, we want to, they knighted me, is what they did. <laughs> so they had me stand, they put a royal robe on me, a scarf, uh, Pashtu hat. <coughs> Don't laugh, I look like a Pashtu warlord. You know, I just got back from Russia and Ukraine. I was getting ready to cut my beard, and Lord said, why cut it? You're going to Afghanistan. Which one's me? Isn't that great? Wonderful people. I was just... They won my hearts, they really, they really did. 
And uh, there's four groups, and up in the area we were in, uh, these are Tajik Afghans, and there's Turkmen, and the largest group, of course, is Pashto, and that's in the central, and then the Hazari in the, in the in lower south. And there's actually 10 large groups, and, and actually there's hundreds of different subgroups. So, but those are the four main groups. So we're working with uh, Tajik Afghans, and um, they speak Farsi, and our engineers from Tajikistan. So then I got to wear the hat all around. So. This is another reservoir, just to show you the work. I mean, the workmanship is really fantastic. It's all by hand. You know, they're, they're, they're hauling buckets and pouring. I mean, look at the size of this thing. And then I th they move the forms around, you know. And I thought the work, you know, I've seen concrete work. It was excellent, excellent work. Uh, hiring all local help, so that helps too. Uh, then we met with uh, the agricultural uh, project we're doing, which is we're introducing soybeans into Afghanistan. Afghanistan has never seen a soybean. They are amazed by this product. They have had one thing for people, one thing for animals, different things, you know. Now they have soy where they can feed that to their animals, they can eat it. I mean, it's revolutionizing the agricultural industry in Afghanistan because Shelter for Life is introducing soy to the country. And so each one of these uh, farmers represents 10 more farmers, so we're in the hundreds. By the end of this year, we're supposed to have 10,000 farmers in Afghanistan planting soy. This will incredibly, this will stabilize uh, the, the, the agricultural aspect of the economy. Soy, and, and with the irrigation projects. I mean, the vision of this thing is, is really quite stupendous. I thought these guys looked classic. But what I really liked was the little notebooks in their hand which had little teddy bears and pandas and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, because these are school kids' books. That's her taking notes. And then they all wanted to ask me questions. You know, had all kinds of questions. And uh, this is our agronomist. He's from Italy. And uh, this is an agronomist uh, from Afghanistan that's working on this project, huge project. Uh, this is the final one. Uh, this is on the Pajai River, which is the... Uh, natural uh, border between Tajikistan and uh, Afghanistan. And uh, there's some very fertile ground and we're doing a test plot down here. We're planting wheat. And actually up over, the, up over that rise is, is Tajikistan. And this river is uh, fairly dry right now. Kind of looks like the Arkansas. <laughs> yeah. But it totally fills up and it's going to with the snow melt. And, um, and actually this is a uh, ravine which will fill with water and we're making spillways to control the water to channel it down into this valley. So this is what they're doing. There's four spillways. This is below where the water is going to go. And we have fruit trees and wheat, the Paja River in the background. And this, again, will totally fill up with water. And so these spillways will control the water. And so they asked us to lengthen it, deepen it, and put in the spillways, which we did. And of course, all this... Uh, causeway area here. As we came up out of that area, we came across some broad, verdant wheat fields. I was quite impressed because you think of Afghanistan as being quite barren, but these wheat fields. I said, who in the world owns these wheat fields? He said, well, actually, each little section is a different village or tribe, and everybody knows what part is theirs. So that's, that's Afghanistan. Okay, I wanted to share something very quickly with you. I'm trying to watch the time. But uh, in the various areas where I travel, we're using these basic principles of discipleship. And I just wanted to rehearse them to you. Many of you are familiar with them. Uh, I actually uh, did this course uh, at a Sunday night seminar a while back, and some were able to go through that. Uh, if you haven't seen this, this could really revolutionize your life. I received this from uh, Chuck Farah. Chuck received it from Dawson Trotman of the Navigators. Originally, it was the wheel and the spoke, you know. But I took the four things, and I, I just basically uh, used the cross. I felt like the Lord said a cross was much more, um, was better than, than a wheel with spokes. And uh, basically, the beams of the cross represent different aspects of our spiritual life, okay? And so basically, the vertical beam represents 
our relationship to God, to know him, to know him. And it's an ongoing uh, revelation, knowing God. And we do this through prayer and the word of God. Prayer going up and the word of God coming down. Communion with God is communication with God. We speak to him, he speaks to us. And through this, we get to know him. How do we get to know someone? By spending time with them. It's basic. It's basic. But it's revolutionary by spending time with them. And the more time you spend with them, the more you become like them. So that would make us want to spend time with Jesus in prayer and in the word of God. Uh, the horizontal beam of the cross represents our relationship to the world, either the believer or the unbeliever. And one is fellowship, which is here. And it's part of our health and part of our discipleship, fellowship, to be in fellowship. And number four is witnessing or evangelism, our witness both in word and in deed to the unbeliever. So the vertical beam is to know him, our relationship to God. Uh, the horizontal beam is our relationship to the world, both to the believer and unbeliever, to make him known. You have to know God to make him known. There's no way I could introduce myself. I could, there's no way I could introduce you to someone if I introduce you, say, to Dave. I'd say, this is my friend Dave. I've known him for years. Talk about Dave. But what if I don't know? I go, this is my, what did you say your name was? Dave. This is Dave. How do you, you can't. You have to know someone to introduce someone to someone. So the basis is to know him. And it's interesting, the vertical holds the horizontal up. You have to know him to make him known. One of the things I want to get across as I just share this quickly about this concept, uh, this has revolutionized my life. When I received this from Chuck Fair in 1972, it went so deep it never came out. And I have lived this thing for 40 years. And it's what's kept me, and it's what's developed all this ministry, uh, involvement with the church, and, and, and really has, has established my spiritual life. And the idea is, once you grip this, to go back and review it periodically, to look, how am I doing? Prayer. How am I doing? The Word of God. Fellowship. How am I doing? Witnessing. You know, what areas need work? Because this is the Christian life. This is the Christian life. In Russian Ukraine, they call it spiritual life formation. That must translate well in Russian. Spiritual life formation, disciplines of the faith. Chuck called this the disciplined Christian life, being a disciple, being a disciple. So I just want to share, uh, we're going to close this by sharing a couple of scriptures. I'm going to share a couple of scriptures from each one. Number one, prayer, Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Just kind of stir you up. This is kind of the key verse. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Again, I've shared before about how these are absolute words. In everything. Everything is everything. Little, big, in everything by prayer and supplication. Constantly communicating with the Lord. The reason that thing happened with Sarah was she was communicating with the Lord at Brahms. That's really unspiritual. What are you doing communicating with the Lord going to Brahms? But that's the reality. It says, let your requests request be made known to God. Then there's a promise. The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. In Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about warfare, spiritual warfare, about principalities and powers, these things that oppose us. It talks about the armor of God, the pieces of armor, six pieces. And then it sums up at the end by saying this, praying always with all prayer, supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Praying always. Is this possible? I believe it's possible. I believe it's possible. And to ask the Lord to remind you when you start slipping away. Oh, right, Lord. And just communicate with God and to pray. And finally, in 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. Why? Because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, 
that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The scriptures equip you for every good work. In Hebrews 4, it says the word of God is living and powerful. It changes us. Ephesians chapter 5, I was just reading this recently. It says here that the word of God sanctifies and cleanses us that we might be without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. That's what the word of God does. It's a daily thing, daily. As much as you want you know, brush your teeth or wash your face or anything else, this is a spiritual application. We need to daily be in the word of God. Finally, the horizontal beam to make him known. Fellowship, we think of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 25, sticks out. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up to love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching that there will come a day in the last days where people will just drift and not want to fellowship. And we need to fellowship more. We need to exhort one another to fellowship, not only in the large assembly, but in small groups. Not only in organized small groups, but spontaneous small groups in our homes, inviting brothers and sisters over, spending time together in prayer, spending time in the Word. That's what this is talking about, fellowship, and what that does in building up our faith. Paul said one place that I might come and impart a spiritual gift to you, that of my faith and your faith, coming together, building each other up. There's something that happens in fellowship. And finally, number four, which is witnessing and evangelism, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is actually given that we might be a witness to Jesus Christ. It is an empowerment for ministry. And the gifts and all these various things that come with it are basically equipping for that task, for that task. Signs and wonders are to confirm the Word of God, are to confirm the Word of God. It even says that as we talk about the Great Commission verse, where it talks about these signs will follow those who believe, and it goes down and lists them, it comes with the preaching of the gospel, Mark 16. Preaching the gospel to every creature, the Great Commission verse we well know. And finally, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, all authority has been given me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Uh, this is the burden of my heart. I remember Chuck Fair one time challenged us in, in, in discipleship, and he said, you know, if you ask the Lord, he will give you a life verse. Chuck shared his life verse with us, and that was uh, Colossians chapter 1. He said, this is, this is my life first. You want to know what motivates me and why I do the things I do? He said, this is why. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. If you think about, if you knew Chuck, and if you think about Chuck, you can understand this. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. That was Chuck's motivational verse. That was his life verse. So I prayed. I asked the Lord. I said, Lord, if you can do that with Chuck, give me a life verse. And the Lord gave me Ephesians chapter 4. And that's what motivates all of this and, and really my work in the church. Ephesians chapter 4. And it talks about the ministry of apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And then in verse 12 of verse, chapter 4, it says, For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come into the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of stature of the fullness of Christ. So the Lord gave me that. that the call of God upon my life is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. My ministry is to the church is to the believer. Uh, 
I'm not an evangelist, but I try to be open to be used in whatever way God would have. But this is, this is what God has called me to. So if you get around me, if I let you know it or not, that's what I'm going to be doing. You know, I'm going to be trying to equip and strengthen you for the work of the ministry because that's what I'm called to do. I remember one time I was talking to Jim, and I asked Jim if he'd go with me to Russia. And Jim said, I do not feel called to go to Russia. <laughs> he said, I do not feel called to go to Russia. He said, I have never been outside of, I think he said, let's see, I've never been east of the Mississippi River except when I went to seminary. And so I prayed about that because I thought he was supposed to go with me. So I prayed about it. The Lord, Lord really spoke to me. He said, there's two kinds of calling. One is to go to a particular place to do a particular thing. The other is a calling in your gifting to be available to go wherever God puts you and just manifest your gifting. And that's my call. And I, I said, Jim, I said, Lord spoke to me this way. He said, he thought about that. And I go, okay, I'll go with you. <laughs> you know? So, uh, you know, that's what I feel. Uh, I, I, I know that I'm in Russian Ukraine at this time, and I know that God's called me for this season to be there, but really my calling is to the body of Christ at large to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to go wherever God would send me and to manifest uh, that calling. So this is part of it. And lastly, here are some booklets from the Discipleship Series uh, that we have in English. Uh, each one of these teachings is 45 minutes to an hour. Many of these have been taught here at TCF on Sundays. But we have these in booklet form uh, that you can get. Uh, most of these are also in Russian. I don't know what, Dory, you could get those, give them to your girls. But I, I have them in Russian. But um, I want you to just look at them for a minute. And if you see one there that strikes you, because, again, what I'm trying to do is be sneaky and equip you for the work of the ministry. Okay, so if you see one in there that strikes you, just let Heather and I know and we'll give you a copy of that. These can also be used in small groups. Uh, there's a women's uh, ministry up in uh, uh, New England that has a small women's group and they've been going through these booklets one after the other in, the, in their small groups. And so they're alphabetical. They, some of them link together. Uh, it's not empirical, it is alphabetical. But if you see one there that you like, uh, just let us know and then I'll be able to be encouraged and satisfied because I know I've tried to equip somebody. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Let's just pray. Lord, we just want to commit this time to you, and I know that you use us in both our weakness and strength. And I, I have to believe that through this, Lord, that you have had your way and that you have encouraged your people and strengthened them in some way and envisioned them and maybe even encourage them to pray about some of the things that they've seen, some of the works that are out there being done. We ask you, Lord, to give us strength and health to continue to encourage us and envision us and give us opportunities, even today, to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus with those who are lost, those who are hurting, those who are astray. We thank you for this time together. We do not take fellowship lightly. There will come a time... I'm sure, Lord, that we will be scattered and fellowship will be hard and uh, there will be persecution. So, Lord, we thank you for this time of peace. We thank you for this time of fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen.